All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business And with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 242 points, or eight-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 74 points, or 1.9%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 507 points, or 4.6%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 13.8%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 18.2%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 25.6%. So had a little bit of uh, relief this past week on Wall Street across the uh, the major indexes, Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ. It's good to, to finally have a little bit of relief in this big, stinky, hairy, grizzly bear market. Well, you, you could safely say, well, for the first part of the second half of the year, at least the, all three indexes are actually off to a positive start. So this is true on a holiday shortened week, and, and we did have some some news that came out on Friday, which we'll probably get into a little bit later in the show with the employment report. Um, but again, we are still in the midst of this bear market, and when I look at the the market, not to get too esoteric or deep into the technicals. It appears that the S&P 500 has been trading in a range of about 265 points going back to June 10th. So as we start next week, you know, we're talking a month that the market has been between this two points, your support level on the downside and the resistance level right around the 3,900 spot. Now, I know on Friday the S&P was able to close above 3,900, just a few points above it. But that appears to be, over the shorter period of time over this past month, to be kind of that resistance point in the S&P 500. Well, the markets have been trading in this this band, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, going back to the beginning of the year. And uh, we're still in that band, and the band, the band has a downward slope. 
Uh, and so we've had these periods, uh, we've had multiple periods this year where we'll have uh, aggressive down uh, for a few weeks, three weeks, a month, followed by uh, a aggressive rebound on the other side, only to be followed by uh, various periods of time where the market continues to trend down. So the, the week just passed, we, we just we didn't really have that much news necessarily to move the market. So the news that came out uh, that I was really focusing on was you know, the Fed minutes, uh, the Fed speakers that we had on Thursday, uh, to some extent, the unemployment news on Friday uh, really didn't, to me, there wasn't much for the bulls to chomp on. To me, it, it I, there, there wasn't I, I think enough. There was one little point. I think there was one little point, Jeff, that the bulls chomped on to talk about the employment report because they were projecting the 250,000 jobs were going to be created uh, in the month of June. And it turns out that it was 376,000 jobs that were created. And the futures on Friday morning immediately turned negative. And I was telling Joe this past week. Right, so that's week, not bullish. The, no, a, a, number, a number Let that me came get to in. It. Okay. Let me I'm get let me get to, get to my there. point. So so I told Joe this past week, I said if we'd get a higher employment data than what the market anticipates, I could see the market selling off. Because we're getting to this point, and I know we've used this term in past shows where it's kind of the perversion of the market where bad news is good news and good news is bad news. Well, creating 376,000 jobs is typically good news, and the market will react positive. But the futures turned negative on Friday before the bell rang because of of these 376,000 jobs, meaning that the job market is still strong. That's going to be adding to inflation. But I think the one piece of more bullish news that was extrapolated out of the employment data, and the point I was getting to, is that wage inflation. The wage inflation has been coming down, and it came down, it came down again in June. So if we're starting to see wages come down, then that gives a little bit of relief potentially to monetary inflation, which then would give Fed the cover in the future to not be raising interest rates as aggressively. So I think that's why we saw the reversal of the markets after the bell rang and why we ended Friday on a positive note across the board. A couple of comments Friday morning that I was paying attention to is is being a little more positive with the job numbers. If you're looking for a recession and we're creating north of 300,000 jobs, that's not exactly a – Right, a recessionary trend, so to speak. GDP, obviously, negative GDP, two quarters in a row, is is the definition. But you also have to have the job component in there, and that actually is a positive. So it's hard to get to recession if you're if you're having over three hundred thousand jobs that are created. Well, so, and I think, and I think, Joe, to your point, I think what we'll probably wind up seeing as we start to get the GDP data, which will be confirmed at the end of September, is that we are technically going to be in a recession for the first and second quarter of this year. But to your point about jobs, it's just a technical recession just based on Econ 101, two negative quarters back-to-back of negative GDP growth. But like you said, Joe, because the job market is still as strong as it is, that wouldn't be considered a typical recession. So I think we'll find ourselves in a technical recession, but the job market is not really panning out to show that to be the case, a true recession where we're well, seeing we're seeing unemployment 
dramatically increase and companies laying thousands of people off across this country and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of jobs lost. That's more of a classic traditional correction as opposed to a technical correction, which we're most likely in. And I think for, for all intents and purposes, I believe that for the most part, the market has that technical recession already priced into the market as it stands now with the last shoe to fall coming into earnings, which start in earnest next week. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, just continuing to recap the happenings from Wall Street from this past week, we we're talking about the, uh, the unemployment numbers or the job numbers that came out on Friday, 376,000 jobs created. It was anticipated that 250,000 jobs were going to be created in the month of June, so obviously that overshot. Uh, analyst estimates, unemployment rate stayed the same at 3.6%, and the U6, which is a true total employment picture, actually came down from 69 to 67 If memory serves me correct, that's the second lowest U6 number since that statistic has been kept. So very strong employment picture. So I know, Jeff, you, you wanted to, uh, to to make a few comments on some of the points Joe and I were making from the last segment. I know you've been chomping at the bit. So, so I guess it's time to let, are, let the bear out of the cage, right? It, let, it, we're going to let the bear out. It let, is the bear David, let the bear David's, eat. Yeah, let David's the bear a capital eat. fight night. David's a capital management fight no, night. Round no, one. The, Everything that y'all have said, I mean, yes, I mean, there's there's the the bear camp, there's the bull camp. Uh, I understand the the bullish side of the story, which y'all intimated in the last segment. Um, there is all kinds of weird with 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 the economic situation, and we've got we're talking about are we in a recession? Are we going to have a recession? Uh, how? When when did it begin? When is it going to end? Are we in it now? The the traditional measures, as Kyle had mentioned, we may be in one right now. We won't know until September, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like it, does it? it Not from you know, an employment the, 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 un, the unemployment no. numbers at three point six percent, and we in creating three hundred seventy at six seven three hundred and seventy two thousand jobs created. In the prior month, that doesn't sound like a recession. And stocks, if you just look at them, S and P down eighteen point two percent. Okay, looks like a pretty strong. You know, it's a strong correction. You know, if I didn't know, like I'd said last week, if I didn't know any of the news around us, I and I just looked at these numbers. I said, oh, it looks like a 
a pretty strong correction. The Nasdaq's getting hit, per, you know, much harder. Yeah, the biggest of the big, the, the biggest of the big names have not been taken out to the woodshed as much as the as the rest of the market. Right. That's why the indexes are reflecting. You know, the Dow's only down fourteen percent, and the S and P's only down eighteen. When the average stock is down more than that this year. You look at big cap, you look at the large cap growth names as a group, you know, they're down 26% this year. That's a, I mean, that's, that's, that's pain, but the, the, the broader markets, it's not being reflected in these, in the indexes to some extent, especially in the S and P and the Dow. I think that's getting ready to change. And I think that's getting going to start changing here when we get earnings. Yeah, we had a nice week up. But there really wasn't that much news. The Fed in these minutes confirmed they're doing exactly what they said they're going to do. They're going to raise 75 basis points at the next meeting. They're going to raise 50 basis points at the next meeting after that, unless these inflation numbers are continue to be hot. Now, we're going to get the inflation number next Wednesday. That's all the focus. Yeah, we had some trading this week, and, the, and on balance, the trading ended with the with the market being positive. But I, you know, certainly there isn't anything you can read into that that oh, the bottom's in. When we don't have the earnings news, we don't have this next CPI number. I don't think this next CPI number is going to be sh- going to show that much change. And if it doesn't show that much change, they may float a one percent increase. You know, in the in the next two weeks just like they did a month ago. Do you think the market's prepared for that? I don't think the market's prepared for that. The market's thinking three quarters of a percent. Okay, so if they... Hold on, I'm not done. All right, okay. So I'm just just not in this camp that believes that, that the market just cannot go lower. It can go lower. And it's going to start going lower here when we get these earnings numbers out because these earnings estimates have not been cut, and they have to come down. And this jobs number, this jobs number is not what the Fed wants to see. The Fed wants to see, in my opinion, job creation sub 150,000 a month. Any this number, this 372. 372,000 in June tells me that the job market is still too hot. The Fed's not the Fed is wants to cool the job market. They're not going to tell you that. They're not going to come out and they're not going to they say this. Be, and they might not be successful in doing that, Jeff, because again, they absolutely like you said, they absolutely will be successful in doing that. And they're going to be successful in doing that because they're going to keep raising interest rates until they truly slow down the economy they've there's some success so far in housing we've seen there's been some success slowing housing but there there's not any success so far in in terms of the jobs numbers now we're going to start hearing about companies well you want to know why there, because there, there is 1.9 there's 1.9 jobs available for everyone that's looking yeah. for a job 
And this, like you said earlier, they're not, they're not $300,000 a year Wall Street jobs. Yeah, I know, Jeff, but the average family of four makes less than $60,000 a year. This is where you're getting a little confused, in my opinion. And when you have almost two jobs available for everyone looking for a job, and like you said at the beginning of the segment, this is completely different. This is not the bear market from 07, 08, 09. This is not the bear market from the finance, from the financial crisis or from the dot com bubble bursting. They're all different. They're all different. And what's created inflation is all different ingredients than they were in the past. This isn't what systemic failure of the banking industry. This wasn't the freezing of the bond market. We're all, it's a new playbook from recovering from a COVID pandemic lockdown, a war going on over in Europe, and boneheaded policies coming out of Washington that have all contributed to this. And this is all different ingredients that have created this situation than they created back in 07, 08 during the financial crisis. I asked you to let me talk this whole segment without interruption. Obviously you didn't follow those instructions. I have to throw in some counterpoints. I'm I'm going to, yeah, after I finish, then you can throw in all the counterpoints you want. So the issue here is, is that the Fed is bound and determined to end inflation at the highest it's been in 40 years. These job numbers give them cover to keep raising interest rates because the job market, it's not showing, the slowdown's not showing up in the job market yet. These numbers are showing the slowdown is not showing up there. That gives them cover to keep raising interest rates. Interest rates went up this week. We've got the 10-year back over 3% yield again. So we're less than 20 basis points away to be to being you know over three and a quarter again which gets us back to near the highs for the year and people are going to start then they're going to be start talking about that again looking at how high you know interest rates have come up how that figures into the computation of earnings and if we start get earnings revisions down that we're going to start hearing about here in the next two weeks mind you it's not going to be from every company I know this. It's not going to be from every company. But when we start hearing this news, and now we've got the Fed's going to raise another 75 basis points in a couple of weeks, all you know, interest rates have to go higher. And as interest rates continue to go higher and higher, it is going to be competition for stocks. And so what you've had over the last two weeks is what we've had all year long. You have these periods when the markets go down, and then they recover a little bit, and then they go down, and then they recover a little bit, and then they go down, and then they recover a little bit. We got to get these earnings numbers out. We've got to get how many more months of CPI numbers is it going to take before we really start to see interest rate, higher interest rates actually taking hold and bringing down inflation? That's the key. You know, the Fed is going to keep attacking, 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 attacking. Because you think they're worried about the S&P being down 18%? That's nothing. No. That's no. nothing. That's no. nothing. How many no, times have we down? You. How many times have we been down 18% sure. in, I mean, in, fourth quarter in three months, six months? Exactly. Oh, so so do, you, do you really think that the Federal Reserve is think, thinks investors are getting that hurt when the S&P is down 18% for the year? No. So what does that mean? They're going to keep going. And if they're going to keep going, that has negative implications for stocks until they say they're not going any further or they give us some definitive timetable 
when they're going to stop or they're going to slow the rate of interest rate increases. And I don't see that on the horizon right now. I don't well, see that. And it's all going to be data dependent when it comes to the Fed. So let's pick this up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in uh, to this weekend's Money Wise program, all three of us going through different debates. We let the big bear out of his cage, let him roam the grasslands looking for salmon to chomp on. And, you know, and back to your point, Jeff, I mean, as far as the Fed destroying jobs or wanting to destroy jobs, I mean, I understand. I didn't yes, say they, they wanted to destroy uh, it's jobs. Not, it's, it's not, not what, what they what want to do. But, but, but obviously slowing the job market would help bring inflation down over a period of time. But as I would mentioned earlier in the show, that we're starting to see the wage inflation coming down. So that can be a contributing factor to slow inflation. But there are some other aspects of inflation that no matter what the Fed does, they really can't affect that much. I mean, they can't really affect food costs. They can't necessarily affect fuel costs. They don't have those levels of controls. Now, a contributing factor to inflation has been cars, both used cars and new cars, because of lack of inventory. Well, when all those microchips, all those processors start to come in, and all the cars that are done sitting in fields up in Michigan and other outside of major car manufacturers start getting those chips in, guess what? The car dealerships are going to get flooded with new cars that were built in 2021 or in 2022. And as we're going into 2023, they're going to have to unload that inventory. And how are they going to do that? They're going to have to dramatically reduce prices, which will then also dramatically reduce prices of used cars. So here comes inflation coming down. They didn't have to necessarily destroy demand. We just had to increase supply. And this has been my argument from day one is that the complete destruction of supplies due to these COVID pandemic and the lockdowns globally has been a bigger contributing factor to inflation, in my opinion. And so it's just as, and and I agree, it's going to take time. And I have agreed with you from the beginning that it's going to take time to work this out. I have also not said on this program that we're at the bottom or bottom has been hit. I I still am sticking to our 3,400 base case on the S&P 500 because, yes, you're right, technically it's lower lows. And it's lower highs. That is a classic bear market pattern. And I agree with you. And we've been going into these different bands at a lower level of trading where we'll go down, trade sideways for a week or two, then take the next step down, and then the next step down. And so I think 3,400 on the S&P 500 is still the base case that we've had going back now, what, months? We've been talking about it here on the show. But 
the Fed, yes, they're fighting inflation, but there's going to be some things that will help with inflation. It's just going to take time to work out. As I said months ago, the Fed has some tools to fight inflation, but in certain instances, they need a Phillips head screwdriver when all they have is a flathead. But that's the only screwdriver they have to use. Yeah, Joe. Well, so what our listeners are hearing right now is what we discussed pretty much on a daily basis. <laughs> and when we discuss uh, reallocating the portfolio, we're going to add this stock, we're going to sell this stock. You know, how are we going to construct the fixed income aspect or, or, or portion of the portfolio? These are the discussions that we have on a daily basis. It's not too different than what you see from the talking heads from what Kyle used to call, I can't even say it anymore. I think it's like the band of the like, show. The financial, financial entertainment, entertainment press. press. But we see it day to day. Hold on. With managers with 20 years of experience or more, they none of them see eye to eye on exactly what is going what is going to happen. And I think what if you're a listener and you're looking at your statement, right now you should be getting we can get your second your, your your second quarter statement. What are you going to do the second part of the year, right, to address what we're talking about right now? You know, how do you address your portfolio to position it for the second part of the year? And I'm going to open it up to both of y'all. I mean, well, sometimes the solution, and when we're managing money, is not all in bear or going 100 percent bull. We call it perma bear, perma bull, whatever you want to do. Sometimes the solution is sometimes in the middle, and that's kind of where I. You know, sometimes well, you bring, in the middle, but but that that sometimes what a that's what a team does when they bring over seventy years of experience is there's a consensus at the end of the day on how we're going to approach it. It's not always an all in or out all out proposition. Go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. Well, well, I I think you know to your point, and we of the last sixteen years doing the show is that we've always wanted to pull the curtain back on what actual money managers with years, decades, and decades of experience managing real assets and real market time, what we discuss. I mean, that was the point of the Money Wise program from day one. But I think you also spurred another conversation that we should have, and. We've talked about complacency before in a portfolio, but I think that there could be another sense for a lot of investors that possibly listen to this show that are looking at their statements, that are seeing the destruction that has occurred in their portfolios because they were working with somebody that wasn't an actual money manager. They're on the financial sales side of the business that sells products or sells whatever it is they sell, but they're not actual money managers. They used a Monte Carlo analysis to figure out what allocation they should be in. They set them, and they forgot them, and their allocation hasn't changed since. And every time a phone call is made to that particular advisor, whoever they're working with, they're like, oh, stay the course. It's long-term. We don't need to do anything here. You just need to ride it out. And that's the worst advice because there are times where you play offense in your portfolio. There's times where you play defense. This is the year where defense should be being played. And we started putting our defensive positions in on January 3rd in anticipation of this. And so what some investors might find themselves now when they're looking at their portfolio and they've seen the destruction of their portfolio, they're like, well, I can't do anything now with my portfolio. I couldn't dare thinking about making any changes because I've got so much paper losses in my portfolio that I'm just going to have to ride this one out and not make any changes. And the bottom line is, is that could also be a very fatal decision. Because if you're working with somebody that didn't do anything for you on the way down and saying just ride it out, 
Who's to say that your portfolio is positioned correctly on the other side of this? That's the thing that you need to be more concerned about now is that a lot of the damage in your portfolio is done. There might be some more to come. But what is the advisor you're working with who didn't do anything for you up until this point in time? What are they going to be doing for you in the future to, to kind of ride the, to, you know, kind of catch the lightning on the other side of this? Are they going to have your p- portfolio positioned correctly? So this really should be the questions you're asking yourself. Has my advisor I've been working with doing anything in my portfolio? No. Okay, I need to ask the question why. The answer most likely is going to be, oh, you're a long-term investor, stay the course. Okay, well, what are you going to be doing for me and my portfolio on the other side of this when it makes a turn? This is why portfolio reviews and analysis are so incredibly critical and why knowing what you own is so incredibly critical. But I just have this sense that our listeners, people that are working with other advisors are like, my portfolio has already come down so much. I couldn't possibly think about making a change. And I'm sorry, that that's the wrong attitude to take because you need to think about I need to have my portfolio positioned correctly now and in the future, but then on the other side, when this market does make a turn and we recover. And I'll jump off my soapbox. Jeffrey's ready. I can, I can see the look on his face. Uh, I was just, the only thing I was going to say is you, you, Joe, talked about you know, the people you see on TV, the talking heads, I guess, you know, mostly with you know, CNBC. Uh, two-thirds of those folks on CNBC are traders. They're not investors. Uh, there's a big difference between people that trade and people that invest. Both, you know, both both are important parts of the market, but both both uh, have different uh, time frames and uh, that they're working with. There, the other third that aren't traders are mostly folks that are 100% invested all the time because they're that that's their investment requirement that they're 100% invested all the time, and so they're telling you, you know. What they're you know, they're buying something like a net you know, like uh, Nvidia, or they're or maybe have, let me give you another example like Netflix. They're buying something like Netflix at this point and, and giving you all the reasons to justify you know why that's a good buy. When I don't think I would necessarily t- touch Netflix with a ten foot pole at this point, but they got to give you reasons why they're why they're buying it. I don't know that it's necessarily the you know good stock for you, but the, the point I'm trying to make is that the vast majority of people that are on TV, you know, I question whether they're actually managing money to begin with, especially the ones that are, that uh, are, you know, hundred percent fully invested all the time. I really think some of those people are just entertainers when you get the end of the day and the rest of them are all traders and that's not what we do. But what we do do here at Davidson Capital is we can be in cash and we can be in cash for an extended period of time. And that's exactly what we've been doing this year. We've been in cash. We've been in high levels of cash and we've been in it for an extended period of time. And that's worked out very well for our clients this year. And I'll you know, remind everyone, and we only have a few seconds here left, it's the worst bond market in, what, 200 and some odd years? And that 1865. And it's the worst six months, the, start of, you know, the worst first half of the year since 1970. Yep. And for the NASDAQ, 
for all times. So, and I know, I know on last weekend's show, I mentioned that I wanted to touch on crypto. So for this next segment, we come back from break. I want to talk a little bit about the crypto market and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, I know, Jeff, you wanted to kind of tack on to the last well, I just, things we were talking about. I was about. talking about, you know, it's it's been a difficult year. I mean, how many years have we had where stocks and bonds have both been down at the same time? Much less bonds be down the most they've been in hundreds of years. That's that was one of the statistics that for we the heard. treasury market for sure. Yeah, eighteen sixty five. And, and, <laughs> and for and for the uh, and for the stock market, the, the worst first six months of the year since nineteen seventy. And through our efforts and through our defensiveness and the changes we made at the end of the year and and all the reductions and the asset allocations the stocks that we've made over the last six months res- resulted in approximately we're through Thursday we're down about eleven and a half percent for the year um, the s p's down eighteen the nasdaq's down twenty five plus you know that puts us if we were a mutual fund uh if we were a balanced mutual fund based on you know Morningstar statistics, a minus eleven and a half would put us in the top, approximately in the top twenty percent of all of managers in the country. But it's a negative number and it doesn't feel good. And uh, it, it, and if you're a retiree living off of your investments and this is your nest egg and you know I'm not going back to work, this is what I have to live on. It's it's hard. You know, it's it's hard to stomach uh, that kind of a negative number, but we're ch- we're charged. We have a dual mandate, just like the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate. They're they're about price stability and full employment, right? Our dual mm-hmm. mandate is to maximize returns when the market environment and the economic outlook gives us the the belief that there's a high probability that we can make capital appreciation occur in a portfolio. And in the absence of an economic environment where we can believe we can we can achieve capital appreciation in the portfolio, then we have to play defense, and that's what we're playing. And as we say, it's about keeping the hole shallower, because this will turn. It always does. We've recovered from every correction, every bear market, every crash, every recession. We've recovered from every one of them, and we will recover from this also. It will take time. I'm in the I'm in the camp that I don't think that the low has been achieved, that there is a lower low out there. Um, I don't know exactly what that low what that absolute low is. I think we're probably closer to it than we are. I think we're more than halfway to it. I do think it occurs between now and probably sometime before the election. 
if our base case plays out and we do get down to 3,400 on the S&P 500, which takes us back to February of 2020, which in essence wipes out all of the gains that occurred during COVID, it is going to take time on the other side to recover. But our job is to keep the hole shallow when the markets turn negative. And that's, I think, we've achieved that this year, but there is still much more work to be done. In the next few weeks, this month, really, because we've got CPI and we've got these earnings coming out. And they may be the catalyst for the next leg down. Now, I don't, I'm not in the camp that I believe that the next, the second half of the year is going to be as uh, bad as the first half of the year was. That I'm not in the camp of. And statistically, it isn't, even in a recession. I mean, even in a recession, it's statistically not going to be as bad when we had this kind of a pullback in the first six months of the year. <clears throat> but the market has has a long way to go to get back into the black uh, before the end of the year if it's going to even be possible. So only time will tell, and it's it's going to really come down to the data and the Fed and monetary policy decisions and what the earnings are going to be for corporate America and Ford guidance. I know we've got a few minutes left. I just, uh, and I've been talking, you know, I, I led up to it uh, right before we went to commercial break, talking about the crypto industry and then mentioned it on last weekend's show that I wanted to touch on it. And for any longtime listener of the program, they probably are already aware that just like annuities, we're not fans of the crypto currency market in any way, shape, or form. In fact, completely do not believe in it. Now, I know some listeners might say, hey, I've made a lot of money in crypto, and congratulations, you know, uh, we're happy for you. But we do not view it as an investment or even as an alternative asset class. It's a purely speculative bet. It's no different than taking your money and going to Vegas. And over this pullback, particularly in the last really all cryptocurrencies have just been completely bludgeoned across the board. We're starting to hear more and more of these crypto lenders or these crypto trading platforms either needing bailouts from other crypto platforms or just completely filing Chapter 11. And I'd read a story a couple of weeks ago in MarketWatch on a company called CoinFlex. And when I read this article about CoinFlex, when I got to the end of the article, I said the writer of this article basically just described to me what a classic Ponzi scheme is. And the fact that we don't have the SEC just completely throwing the book at these types of firms, I was really scratching my head because I'm physically reading an article describing a Ponzi scheme. Well, Friday morning in MarketWatch, an outside of an investment advisor or investment firm that consulted with Celsius, which made headlines some weeks ago as a crypto lender that was needing a bailout that then now has since filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, has now had a lawsuit filed against them claiming that they were a Ponzi scheme. And there's plenty of evidence to back that up. And so when we look at the crypto market and why we just don't agree with it because of its speculative nature and it's not an asset or asset class in our opinion, but the fact that there are so many firms that are out there like this, these crypto lenders or these different types of exchanges that then loan cryptos out to other people 
I, I mean, I, I cannot wrap my head around how these are not Ponzi schemes, and here is evidence with this lawsuit that was just filed on Friday of this past week claiming that this company, Celsius, have filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy is a Ponzi scheme. So, you know, our advice is avoid the space like the plague. Um, it's it's all developed and derived on the greater fool theory. Um when it comes to the cryptocurrencies. And really, at the end of the day, for this to become a legitimate asset class, it's going to need a level of regulation and that, that is immense. And this was originally created to go against fiat currency and regulations of governments. So very ironic. But with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back from the news, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070. Or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as as we like to utilize every second hour of the Money Wise program going into investor education, and any longtime listeners of the program know that we definitely love our top ten lists. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of an ode to uh, to David Letterman. Uh, But we have a top ten list for this afternoon's show called The Ten Myths of Retirement Planning. And so we'll dive right in with myth number one. And that first myth is you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. Now, this, I would say the financial entertainment press, the legacy distribution system for Years and years and years, as long as I've been in the business, which you know for me is coming up on 16 years I've been doing this, they have the kind of industry standard that you only need 70 to 80% of what you're currently earning while you're working in retirement to maintain your lifestyle once you are in retirement. And, you know, very honestly, what I try to educate prospective clients uh, that come in here to Davidson Capital Management is that we don't abide by that 70 to 80% of your current income in retirement to maintain your lifestyle. In fact, most instances I say you need 95 to 
of what you're currently earning now, you need to be able to withdraw that same amount of money in retirement from your nest egg in order to maintain your lifestyle. Because the one, I think, variable that the legacy distribution system doesn't uh, calculate, doesn't uh, put into their calculation or account for is the fact that what's the one thing that you have a heck of a lot more of in retirement than you do during your working years. Leisure time. That's right. You have a lot more leisure time, so you have more time to travel. If you're into hunting, fishing, golfing, those are not cheap hobbies by any stretch of the imagination. Or now you're getting into new hobbies that take more time and more money. And so, you know, that myth that you don't need as much money in retirement as you do right now Again, I think it's a complete myth and it's complete bogus. Do you want to add something, Jeff? Well, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say also medical expenses. That's the one thing that uh, that's really the X factor, the unknown factor as you get older because that's, that's true. definitely going up. Well, that's true. We don't know the, the inflationary costs of medical care. Obviously, as you get older, you need more and more attention from healthcare professionals. Uh, but I think something else, Dad, that, that's a big unknown that's out there, and I think um, I'm not even going out of limb on saying this, but with, with the deficits that we currently face and the national debt, I mean, to say that taxes are going to be going down in the future, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I, and so I think retirees are folks that are working towards retirement and building their nest egg. That's something that they need to keep, keep in the back of their mind is, you know, they shouldn't anticipate, oh, well, I'm going to only have a 10 or 12% effective tax rate in retirement because nobody knows what their tax rate is going to be. And, again, we're assuming that taxes will be going up as far as the eye can see because of the deficits, because of the national debt that we have. I think – Maybe turning this myth around and turning it into a question is something that we at Davidson Capital Management do time and again when we're meeting with prospective clients. And they ask this question, well, what do you think the portfolio can produce in income in retirement? They may, maybe, the, the, maybe you don't know exactly what you think you will need. But maybe if you had an estimate of what the por- what your portfolio might produce if you were to retire right now or if you were to retire, say, 10 years from now at a certain rate of return based on the portfolio nest egg that you have right now and then apply our maximum withdrawal rate here that we have at our firm of 7% a year and say, do you think this number will be enough money for you to retire on? Uh, when you reach retirement years, let's say that the, the that they bring a portfolio of a certain size, and we and we estimate that it'll grow at seven to eight percent a year for another ten years, and the number we start off with is a million dollars. We'll just round it off. Well, at our maximum rate of withdrawal, that's seventy thousand dollars a year, seven percent of a million dollars. So, is is seventy thousand? Do you think seventy thousand dollars a year, based on a one million dollar portfolio? will be enough to keep your lifestyle where it is right now. If we find that there's that the the client is spending $140,000 a year on their lifestyle, that's $70,000 in retirement, we're not even taking into account any social security of course, might not be enough to support their current lifestyle. So now we now we got to now we got to look at okay, are we going to start saving more now? to increase that nest egg size so that we can get a little closer to uh, to that target uh, 
income, or do we need to think about uh, lowering living lo- expenses, lowering, lowering, lowering liver expenses, lowering expectations uh, for income in retirement? All three. Well, I, maybe I think, all three. I, I think one thing that a lot of retirees can get, or pre-retirees can get in trouble is they go in with expectations that, well, my portfolio needs to be designed to where I'm I'm outperforming the S&P 500 each and every year. And if you're creating a financial plan that takes that scenario in, 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 into effect, that is extremely, extremely dangerous. And by saying that I need to have my portfolio outperforming the S&P each and every year, it's unrealistic. It's very unrealistic, and the one one of the big problems that pre-retirees have going into maybe a professional asset manager relationship is they have unrealistic expectations, and what they need to do is they need to establish a goal, a plan. You know, my goal for this money is to grow 8% per year. Like you said, Jeff, let's sit down and work out a plan, and what are your goals, and say, okay, if you only need to earn 7 maybe 8% annualized, over, you know, after all fees and expenses for a lengthy period of time, let's say the next 10 or 15 years to have a comfortable retirement, then that's really what you should focus on and how you should position your portfolio and allocate it. But if you're the type of investor that's like, i got to beat the S&P each and every year, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure because it is next to impossible to do. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to take a different approach. That's that's one type of client that we see uh, here at Davidson Capital, but there's also another type I want to talk about when we come back. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're focusing on the second hour of this weekend's program, the 10 myths of retirement planning. We're actually still working on myth number one. Uh, That myth, again, uh, you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. And so we were talking before we went to break about setting goals and having appropriate goals in place and appropriate expectations in place with your nest egg as you're going into retirement. And, Jeff, I know you wanted to add a little bit to that. Well, that's, that is one. We see this, that this type of scenario with some prospective clients that are looking for maximum performance. They're, they're, they're very much focused on performance, and we understand that. But I think another type of client that, we, that we're seeing, and maybe this is an offshoot of, of, the, of the new target date funds that have been out here about the last 10 years, and that's this assumption that as I get closer and closer to retirement, I need to have more and more of my money in, in bond investments and in fixed income investments and less and less in stock because I need to be taking less risk. And so by having more money in fixed income, well, that would be traditionally saying, well, I'm taking less risk. Well, that's all fine and good in a normal interest rate environment. And I use that in quotations. As, but this is not a normal interest Definitely rate Definitely not normal. And we have not had a normal interest rate environment for a very long time. And it appears 
that we may not have a normal interest rate environment for a number of years into the future. So <clears throat> having a asset allocation strategy that as I'm approaching retirement, I need to have less than what we would recommend an, uh, an allocation in stocks in the current rate environment and more of an allocation to bonds, but yet still have a uh, expected rate of return of 8% is not realistic. Mm-hmm. It's not realistic at all. And so m- maybe the two tie together is about having realistic expectations and understanding that in order to deliver those expectations, you have to have a certain ratio of stocks to bonds based on the existing current interest rate environment. Yes, Doug? Well, just say we were looking at a traditional balanced account, which in the old days would be 60% stock, 40% bond. Well, if you're at a 10% return in stocks, that means you're going to get 6% from your stock side of the portfolio. The problem is the 40% that would be sitting in bonds with a 10-year bond you know, slightly you know, less than 3, you're, you're not getting up to the 7% which we have seen is a safe withdrawal rate going back our 25 years. But it is because of the bond component. The bond component right now is changing the math on what people need for retirement. But I don't think the retirees are picking up on that fact, Dad. I, I don't think they are. And when you're talking about target date funds putting more money into bonds as people approach retirement, what is the most dangerous asset class out there right now? It is bonds. Fixed income. Because we don't know very how few the Fed, say Very, very few people would say that. No, I, nobody would say that. I don't think other than people that run bonds like us. We either know, than us. Either we, than us. We know. We know that it's dangerous. You get the Bill Grosses of the world that come out and say it's a new normal. They don't want to come out and say it's a new bubble. They don't want to say the bubble word connected with bonds. So are we moving on to myth number two? Myth number two. Myth number two. My retirement years won't last that long. The fact is, today's today, individuals in their 50s and 60s, of course, are generally healthier than previous generations. So if you're 65 years old right now, your life expectancy is approximately 21 years. And with a life expectancy of 21 years means that you have a 50% chance of dying by year 21 and a 50% chance of living longer. So if you're 65 right now, you have a 50-50 chance of of living past 86 years old. And so that, again, goes along with creating that plan and having your goals and realizing, is my nest egg sufficient enough to sustain me till I'm 86 or till I'm 95? And if you have, nobody knows. And if you have a 7% rate of withdrawal in your portfolio and you've got a 100% fixed income earning you 2%, you're not going to get there. It's not it may not last 21 years. You know, as I always as I say to prospective clients, if we all knew when the last day on this earth would be for each one of us, man, retirement planning would be so much easier, but unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, we don't know when that day is going to be. No, myth number three, you can afford to start planning for your retirement a few years before your retirement date. In fact, it is never too soon to begin planning for retirement. Time is one of the most powerful tools in the accumulation of wealth. The sooner you start to accumulate assets and plan for your retirement years, the better, the less you will need to set aside each year in order to achieve the same objective. Now, I've talked about this over and over and over again 
for a number of years using the example of someone that was just fresh out of college, that just graduated, just got their diploma, and they get their first job. And if they had a, if they, this, this, this $1 million goal to have in your, in your retirement years, you start off your retirement with a one, $1 million nest egg. If you started saving when you were 21, 22 years old and you save for 40 years to get to 62, the, you would have to save what amounts to about a, skipping lunch every day. Brown bagging out. it. By brown. brown bagging it going to work. About, about $8 a day, it's like $250 a month. If you save that amount of money at 22 years old and you never change it, you would accumulate, you would accumulate about a million dollars at an 8% compounded rate of return. You know what our listeners can do? They can just go into Google and Google the term time value of money and read the explanation. I mean, it's very, very simple. And, and again, if you're someone who's in their 40s, maybe in their early 50s, and you haven't started saving for retirement, I mean, this is when you need to buckle down and start putting the pedal to the metal uh, to, to try to save as much as possible. It's never too late. As we've always said on the radio show, pay yourself first. But this myth number three rolls right into myth number four for those individuals that have failed to plan for their retirement. And that myth number four is that Social Security will provide enough income for my retirement years. Bottom line, Social Security accounts for approximately 38% of the average retiree, of the average retiree's income. So, uh, you know, you're, you're talking, you know, 62% that still needs to be made up. And, and, and again, to be very blunt, if you're relying on the federal government to take care of you in retirement, again, you are setting yourself up for failure. We all know the Social Security system is broken. It needs a substantial overhaul. Um, the fact that Social Security benefits with cost of living adjustments or COLA, for short, have become smaller and smaller and smaller over the years. Um, if you're one of those individuals that's just relying on Social Security to take care of you, again, you're planning for failure in your retirement years and possibly working to the day that you die. You have to start planning and you have to start putting away. You know, if you follow myth number three, then you're going to wind up falling into the trap of myth number four. So myth number five, I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. Boy, this is extremely, extremely dangerous to think that a traditional pension or defined benefit plan is going to take care of you throughout the rest of your retirement years. And, and again, as, as we all know, uh, with the invention of the 401k through the Tax Reform Act of 1978, this is where corporate America has been going. They've been shifting away from the defined benefit plan. So there might only be a handful of listeners of this weekend's program that have the luxury of having a defined benefit plan. But we have always recommended at Davidson Capital Management that if you have the ability to take a cash lump sum distribution from your pension, and the, and the way that you can do that is, first off, your pension has to have over an 80% uh, funding rate by the corporation 
to take a 100% lump sum, and then if it has a 60 to 80% funded rate from the corporation, you can take a partial lump sum distribution, and then any pension that's less than 60% funded, you're going to have to take the pension payment. And I know, you know one particular organization here in town that falls in that category of having an underfunded pension. But, you know, the one thing that they don't tell you when they give you the options that you can select at time of retirement, whether to take a lump sum or to take the annuity payments from your pension, is that these pension payments are not adjusted for inflation. So maybe that that $1,500 that you started receiving in your pension on month one and year one is going to be buying a heck of a lot less goods and services 10 years from now. And I think that's one area that retirees forget, that monetary inflation is eroding your purchasing power. And once you start taking that pension payment, there's no going back. You're done. You're locked out. That's what you're going to be getting for the rest of your life and it's not adjusted for inflation, so each and every month that goes by, you're going to be able to buy a little less goods and services. So you need to keep that in the back of your mind, and that's one main reason, one huge reason why we recommend to take a lump sum distribution, if you can, from your traditional pension. With that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this hour about the 10 myths the ten myths of retirement planning. Um, we've gotten to myth, and we came to the bottom of the hour break. We're on myth number five, uh, which was I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. And as we went to break, was talking about what we recommend to prospective clients at Davidson Capital Management when you can take the lump sum distribution from your pension to do that, for one, so you now have full, complete control of those assets. Also, so you can put those assets to work for you in an allocation model that can provide you with growth and something that's going to be appropriate for you to help make that money last your entire uh, lifespan in retirement, but also to help combat, combat monetary inflation. Because again, that's one thing that the pension provider is not going to tell you at a pre-retirement meeting is that once you annuitize that pension and start taking that monthly check, that's the check that you're going to continue to receive. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation. And so that $1,500, as an example, that you start receiving each and every month will buy less goods and services as every month goes by. So imagine, and think of it very easily, will $1,500 20 years ago buy the same amount of goods and service as it does today? No, because of monetary inflation. That is the one thing that is not discussed enough with pre-retirees. It's one aspect uh, of the market that, that individuals don't think about a lot and why I've always been a big advocate that every brokerage statement across this country should have a notation of what monetary inflation was for that reporting period so they realize, oh, I did lose a little bit of value in my CD because of monetary inflation or I lost value of my money sitting in cash in the bank vault 
because of monetary inflation. It, it affects pensions the exact same way. So myth number six, Medicare will take care of my health insurance. And I'm glad that this is on the list of myths because this is a conversation I have when I go through my financial road mapping exercises with clients when we work with our clients that are working towards that retirement I don't want to say retirement goal line. I would say retirement is the 50-yard line. So as they're working to the 50-yard line of the field to go into retirement, when I start, when I have our clients work on their monthly budgets, I always want them to put in some type of figure for supplemental insurance to Medicare. I always tell our clients that do not rely 100% on Medicare. And you know the bottom line is, is that Medicare pays less than a half of a typical retiree's medical bills and that you have to have a supplemental plan. And, Dad, I mean, you're absolutely. you're an absolute authority on this. No, no, because no, that's, you're absolutely correct, Kyle. And so I always want to build into a retirement budget, and this is, again, an exercise for any pre-retiree that's working on their monthly budget to include, what do you pay, around uh, $500 a month? It's getting more and more expensive. It is, okay. So uh, your supplemental plan is getting more yes. and more expensive. So I would say... And we've were, already reduced one of the portions of it. So would you say for a pre-retiree to maybe work in four to maybe $600 a month for that supplemental policy uh, or uh, even more? Uh, actually, it's going to be it's going to start to be more than that. Really? Yes. That's what it is currently. Maybe six, to, it maybe six to $800? It's, uh, it's getting there. It's getting there. So the bottom line is, is that... Well, the problem is, at this point in time, because of Obamacare, we, we don't totally know the effects yet. You know, th- this has not got through the system. And the other thing that doesn't come out in this that they won't tell you is you're not going to see all the same health professionals you saw before. Not every doctor wants Medicare patients. That's true. And so... There's instances where your your specialists are going to change. That's not all. That's another myth too. Is that you may <laughs> you're not, adding myth number eleven. You, you may be going <laughs> you, to San Antonio to see someone you want to see. Myth: You can keep all of your current healthcare yes. providers. Yeah, that's not even that's your not, primary care. That's positions. not true on Medicare, much less Obamacare. So anyone working out a monthly budget pre-retiree, they need to figure in. A health insurance cost, even if you're going into Medicare because you're going to have to have that supplemental policy. Uh, myth number seven, all my assets are in safe vehicles for long-term accumulation and do not need to be watched closely. What the heck are I mean, safe vehicles for long-term accumulation? What do, what do they mean is, by that? There is none. Well, I, I know an annuity salesman would say this annuity, yes. this indexed annuity, this variable annuity, that's that's safe. It's quote-unquote guaranteed. That talk should have ended Hardy in 08 or 09. I mean, they, they might be talking about certificates of deposit yes. or government bonds. Yes. But those safe that's vehicles it. for long-term accumulation aren't accumulating a whole lot. I was about in, to say. In, they, in today's interest rates. They need to define what is accumulation. <laughs> That's a very loose term Something right less there. than 1% is not accumulating to me. I mean, I mean the, the, the bottom line, anyone going into retirement with, oh, I've got everything in CDs, I've got everything in my money market account, I'm, I've got everything in fixed income, I'm safe, I can go on my trips, on my vacations, I can go play with the grandkids and the family, I don't have to think about it, don't have to worry about it. If you don't work with an investment professional who has discretionary control and is a registered investment advisor to manage those assets for you, 
then you're the portfolio manager. And you can Well, there is a portfolio manager. Whether you hire one or not, you've hired yourself. That's right. Yeah, that that means that you're the portfolio manager and you cannot fall asleep behind the wheel and following this methodology of oh, I'm safe, I don't need to watch it closely. Again, setting yourself up for failure. This is why we've always used the Money Wise program to educate and to enlighten pre-retirees and retirees that you always have to be vigilant in your portfolio, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're working with an investment professional, it's something that has to be paid attention to. Well, I mean, you are the portfolio manager on your 401k plan. That's right. That That's right. If you don't have a self-directed brokerage option, and, and again, that brings up another important point, something that a lot of 401k plans don't talk about, is in-service distribution options for participants in 401ks that are age 59 and a half and older. If you're planning on working another five or six years, guess what? At 59 and a half, you have the ability to hire an investment professional, roll your 401k assets out into a self-directed IRA that you can now get professionally managed. And for someone who's amassed 500, 600, 800, a million dollars in their 401k and they don't feel comfortable with what they're doing in their own account, this is when you might want to start looking at your options as you're continuing to work and participating in the 401k for looking at a self-directed, uh, either a self-directed or an in-service distribution option in the 401k. Um, so myth number eight, I can always use the equity in my home to add to my retirement income. Well, this might have been a thought pattern prior to the housing collapse back from 2006 and 2007. And with home values just starting to come back and well, revive. You know, they're bubbling up in here. There's no question about that. They, they are, depending upon what part of the country you live in. Um, but again, as we've always educated and always talked about here on the Money Wise program, is that you should view your house as where you live. Do not view it as an investment. If you have your house paid off, yeah, you have equity built into it. It's kind of a break glass in case of emergency type thing. But if you're developing a financial plan in retirement that revolves around taking a reverse mortgage out or taking a home equity line of credit out and, and living off of the equity bills in your house, again, you're planning and setting yourself up for failure. And again, with the financial crisis back in 08, which again, housing market had a lot to lend itself to, to that financial crisis. There's a lot of folks that still could be underwater, have zero or very little home equity. Um, so we always say don't look at your house as a piggy bank. Look at your house as where you live. And if you have equity built into it, fantastic. But don't include it in a financial plan that, hey, this is a register that I'm going to be able to ring if I need to. Anything else you wanted to add? Myth number nine. If need be, my family can always help me out. This is my plan. <laughs> well, that's myth number nine. Yeah, right? that, that's myth. That's myth Usually number myth nine. Number one. Yeah, myth number nine. And the fact is that many people use this as an excuse for dele- delaying retirement planning, but in reality, no one wants to rely on other family members to help them out financially to fund their retirement years. And if anything, these are the years when you want true financial independence and do not want to feel as if you are a burden on your family. Uh, There must be some very interesting Thanksgivings out there. I mean, the the fact that 
this many people could be getting along. I thought it would be, would be the last people that you'd want to rely on would be family members. You, well, I, I mean, and unfortunately, again, if if you're the type of investor or the lack thereof, not investing, not planning, you know, believing in a lot of these myths that we've already discussed, then you're going to wind up falling into the category where you're going to be looking to your children or looking to other family members to take care of you in retirement and, again, becoming a burden on them. And, and, and I would think that that's, that's not a conversation that any parent wants to have with their child saying, well, hey, Sally, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving in with you now. I hope you have an uh, extra yeah, room I, in your house. Yeah, I'm gonna be, because I did such a poor job planning for retirement, now I'm going to come live with you. How, what do you think about that? Or, or then the parents become a travel agent for guilt trips and say, well, I paid for your college. I did I all this you. for you. I raised you. You owe me this. I would recommend try not to be one of those parents that's a you owe me this kind of parent. You have to do the planning yourself and prepare for your retirement. Well, we're going to take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up the 10 myths of retirement planning, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we spent the last hour of this weekend's Money Wise program going through the 10 myths of retirement planning, and we finally arrived at myth number 10, and that myth is money is everything when it comes to retirement planning. Uh, now, money is important, but it isn't everything because, again, you could have $4 million nest egg saved up but you're spending $400,000 a year to maintain your lifestyle. And guess what? That nest egg isn't going to last too long. And so you could, you could have been a fantastic saver, but if you're going into retirement with a massive amount of debt, consumer debt, you know, huge house payment, a bunch of car payments, a lot of toys, a whole high monthly expenses, and and you're leading this very, very extravagant lifestyle, doesn't matter how much you, you, you've saved because you have to pay attention to what you're spending. Yeah. It's about creating a proper balance. And, and, it's, well, and it's pretty rare that we see folks that have accumulated tr large nest eggs but but also have, been, have really big spending habits. Usually it's their nest egg is moderate to maybe a little below average, but they have big spending habits. Well, well what I see also is we'll still see people that save quite a bit of money, and then they get in retirement, and they're way too frugal. They're so afraid they're going to outlive their money, they won't even enjoy, real, enjoy yeah. some of the fruits of their labor. I mean, I see well, this it, more. It, it's, 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 it's about a happy medium, a happy balance. But I think that it goes back to your point is that 
retirement planning has to stay flexible. You have to be malleable because life can change in the blink of an eye. Markets change each and every day. Allocations can adjust. You have to be flexible. This is why we're such humongous advocates against, again, let me repeat, against annuities of any shape or form because it takes away that flexibility right. and that malleability. We're, we're very much against taking, if you if you work for a corporation that offers a, a, a pension plan and you and you take the pension payment and don't take the lump sum, we're very much against taking the pension payment because you're locking yourself in to this amount of money for the rest of your life. It will be never be a penny more or a penny less. And no one knows that that's going to be enough with your other retirement income to get through retirement. So, like like Kyle said, and then we'll reiterate it again, flexibility is the key because markets don't stay the same. Life doesn't stay the same. And to to me, of the ten myths, the one that that, that really strikes a chord with you. Strikes a chord. I would not even consider retiring without a supplemental plan to my Medicare. Do not rely on Medicare for your health costs because that is the one guarantee I would say you're definitely going to be using as you get older. So it's death, taxes, and increase in medical care, <laughs> increased cost of medical care. Yes. Those are the three now. It's not just death and taxes. Well, that's right. Inflation, inflation and medical inflation care. Inflation is all – I don't know that I've ever lived – in, in two years in a row that we haven't had a pos- positive inflation. We've had inflation practically every year of my life. And, the, and and if I've been living 48, I have no reason to doubt that the next 48 are going to have inflation also. Now, despite what the government says, current interest, current inflation rates being somewhere less than 2%, I don't know anyone that uh, isn't paying more than 2% for their living expenses. And so I'm a little suspicious of how the government's computing these numbers. And, you know, we've always used at least a minimum 3% uh, inflation rate. And so if, if, you're, if you're accumulating assets into retirement and you unfortunately have received advice or believe that as you approach those retirement years, you should have less and less money in stocks and more and more money in, a, in fixed income or bond investments, there isn't a bond investment out there that has a uh, that is uh, what we would consider to be investment grade that's yielding more than three percent unless you go way way out. Well, there's the no one yielding seven, and we're talking about in our experience, our 25 years, we've seen where you can take seven percent out of a balanced portfolio and still have a portfolio of the size but you what started I'm, with. Yeah, but what I'm saying yeah. is is that Greater than the you, size you can't even with. get a fixed income investment that we would consider investing in that's investment grade that even reaches what we believe is, is at least the minimum true rate of inflation. No, and, and, and again, everyone's inflationary rate is different, but if you're going into retirement anticipating that your inflationary rate's going down, not with medical care costs. no. Not with medical care costs. I don't think medical co- Medicare costs are growing at at three percent or less a year. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in, I think it goes college tuition, medical costs, and those the, are and probably the, that, high single digit rates of inflation. For for tuition, it's actually I've seen I've seen statistics it's double digits with 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 college costs. So, 
you know the, the the bottom the bottom line is is that you have to prepare you have to plan as i've always tried to educate on this program that if if you're listening to the show and you're 6 months 12 months out from retiring this is when you need to start getting on the horse and start interviewing investment professionals that you might be interested in working with finding out what they have to offer, seeing how they work with their clients, find out if they're taking discretionary control and are acting as a fiduciary, as a registered investment advisor does, like we do here at Davidson Capital Management, or are they only going to sell you investment products and do what's suitable for you, which does not, which does not mean putting your interests in front of their own or the firm that employs them. You need to start doing that work in advance. Do not get caught behind the eight ball. I don't know how many times I've talked about it on this show, but since we're talking about retirement planning, I always want to bring this up. You know, I've met with some folks that get caught behind the eight ball, and they're scrambling to try to figure out who they're going to work with. They wind up making a very hasty decision because they sat in one sales presentation said, wow, that sounds good. They threw around the word guaranteed a lot and guaranteed this rate of return and guaranteed that and all these guarantees. Well, I'm just going to sign on the dotted line, and then they're toast. Their portfolio is toast, and they're locked into something. They lost their flexibility. They lost their flexibility, and the bill of goods that was sold to them was completely false smoke and mirrors and then they wind up regretting that and then a lot of times we wind up working with these people where we're having to unwind these hasty decisions that they made and sometimes can cost them quite significantly and it can't be done overnight and, either. And exactly and it can't be done overnight so you know again you have to plan you have to prepare do not get sucked in to these myths and if there's anything that we can do for you at Davidson Capital Management, you want to talk about your your financial situation, give us a call, 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.